Uh, you know, one person that I really respect uh, is the CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, Elon Musk, right? Um, okay, I know. I know that he's a bit controversial. I know that he's kind of crazy, but I kind of like that about him too. Uh, I think that in order to be a genius, you, you kind of have to be a little crazy. Um, but besides that, one of the reasons why I like him uh, is not necessarily because he's super smart or a huge visionary or something like that. One of the reasons why I really respect him as a CEO is because of his single-minded devotion to his craft. I've read a lot of articles about him, and one thing is really consistent about the way they talk about him is that he spends at least 80 to 90 hours at work. They say that he has a bed in his office. They say that when he's even on vacation, he is constantly still going to meetings and checking emails and doing all of these things. For him, he is so single-minded in his devotion to his craft. Now, I know that can't be healthy for his family life, but at the same time, as a CEO, as someone who works at his job, I respect and I admire that, part, that portion. The reason I bring that up is because when I was preparing for this topic of singleness, and I was looking through this passage in particular, there was one word that really exemplified the understanding of the theology of singleness. And it's the word single-minded devotion. You see, singleness is a gift from God. And it is a good thing because it allows us to have a single-minded devotion. I think for us, singleness is a difficult thing to understand because our generation, we tend to see things very black and white. And so a few weeks ago, we heard this sermon on marriage, right? And we heard about how Paul thinks of it as this beautiful thing that it is a gift from God. It is a, one of the clearest representations of Christ and the church. It is this institution created by the Lord. And so we hear that, and because we tend to think of everything as black and white, we say to ourselves, okay, because Paul says that marriage is a gift, that obviously must mean that singleness is a curse. If marriage is an institution created by God for God's glory, then obviously that must mean that singleness is just a precursor to that. That singleness is, is not really an institution created by God. It's just something like an appetizer before the main meal of marriage. But you see, what we are able to look at here is that the Bible never demotes singleness. It never treats singles as immature. It never treats singles as incomplete. All that the Bible says again and again is that being single is a gift from God. And whether that singleness is temporary or permanent, it is a good thing given from the Lord. What you have to understand, what we have to really understand as Christians, is that marriage and singleness 
are not two opposite sides of the spectrum. They are two paths that lead to one thing, which is the glory of God. Marriage is not ultimate. Once you're married, you are not complete. Singleness is not ultimate. Being single does not mean that you are incomplete. Both are simply vessels to help you grow in the image of God. That's what they are. You see, both marriage and singleness are meant to represent parts of the gospel. Christian author Sam Alberry he writes that marriage shows us the shape of the gospel by modeling the covenant relationship, whereas singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel by pointing us to the true covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. They're both important, and they're both good. But what happens is that for us, we've misunderstood the theology of marriage to the point where some of us have the misunderstanding that marriage is everything, that marriage is the point of life, that when we're married, then we're complete. And so what happens is that for us who are single, we're always pining for marriage. We're always wondering, when are we going to get married? That's our, that's our final thought. And we think, okay, when we get married, that's when God is going to use us. That's when things are going to really go into place. And yet what God has called you in today is that whether you are single for a temporary season or whether you are single permanently, you are called to use that as a gift for God's glory and a single-minded devotion that you wouldn't be able to if you were married. Singleness is good because it is a path for you to bring glory to God. Marriage is good because it is a relationship where you can bring glory to God. Do you see how, the both, do you see how both of those things are good, but they are not ultimate. You see, the Bible says that marriage and singleness are two ways to honor God. And this is what Paul is trying to explain. This is the crux of this passage. This is the thesis here. And it's that your identity is not found in your marital status. Your identity is not found in whether you are married or whether you are single. Your identity as a Christian is as a child of the Most High God. That is your identity. Everything else is simply a supplement in that path. Everything else is simply an added benefit to help you grow as a Christian, as a child, as a son, as a daughter of God. That includes marriage, and that includes singleness. Marriage and singleness are just vessels to help your identity as a Christian. That's all. See, verse 27, it says this, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. See, Paul, he's saying this, Are you married? Great. Don't try to be single. Are you single? Great. Don't be too eager to get married. Being married is a great way to be a Christian. Being single is a great way to be a Christian. Don't be too eager to change your status. There's a reason why God has placed you where you are. 
You know, over the past few weeks, we've been contrasting what the world says and what the Bible says about relationships. And what Paul here, if you're not careful, if you're not reading this carefully, you're going to miss that Paul is saying something very, very revolutionary. He's saying something here that would be so foreign to the people who would be listening and even to us today. You see, back then, there was no such thing as individualism. There was no such thing as individual glory or individual success or individual riches. Everything would be centered around the family. If you had success, that's a great thing because you're bringing success to your family. If you were succeeding in life in whatever way, that was a good thing because it meant your family would be able to grow well. And that included your marital status. And so if you were single, you were bringing shame to your family. You were meant to be married back then. And guess what? If you were married and you didn't have children, that would be a shame too. You would be dishonored. You would bring dishonor to your family. People would look down on you. You would be a pariah. It was only when you were married and when you had children that you were considered complete in the world. And yet, what we see here is that Christianity comes in. And Paul says, it is good that you are single. Do you see the paradigm shift that would need to happen for people to understand what was being said? Christian scholars say that Jesus and Paul were one of the first proponents to say that, yes, family was important, but it is not necessary. Family is good, but being single is also very good. And that's why, look, even when you look at biblical times, you will see this stark difference in the way that the government treats those who are single and widowed versus how the Bible and the church treated those who are single and widowed. You know, in the government, back then, in the government, or the way that the government would treat widows is that under national law, they were forced to remarry or they would be killed. Caesar Augustus, he had widows fined if they failed to marry within two years. And considering that widows back then did not have a source of income, it meant that if they did not get married within those two years, then the most likely case is that they would be thrown into jail and forgotten there. However, among Christians, widowhood was respected and honored. And it was a bylaw within many early churches to help sustain single widows and give them the financial support they needed so that they had the option of whether they wanted to get married or whether they wanted to stay single. They had the option to choose for themselves to say, look, I desire to get married again. I desire to honor and glorify God in this way. But they also had the choice to say, no, I desire to honor God in my singleness and devote my time in the church. It gave them that choice to do either or. You see, The reason why churches were so adamant about this is because it goes back to this verse where Paul is saying, it is good to be married, and it is good to be single. 
Now, after hearing that, the question naturally becomes, why is it good to be single? That's a good question to ask. And Paul, he tells us a couple of those reasons in this passage. We're going to go through them together. Verse 28 says, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. You see, what we know back then is that persecution for Christians was rampant. That it was extremely severe. And the government at that time would go and kill Christians. They would go to churches, to Christian homes. They would drag them out. They would arrest them, jail them, and kill them. And because of this persecution, Paul understood how important it was to continue spreading the gospel and caring for the people around him. For Paul, persecution didn't mean to run away. It didn't mean to go into hiding. For Paul, it meant that he needed to go out and do more for the kingdom of God. It meant that if people were pressing down, were suppressing the gospel, that he would go out and sing even louder, that he would go out and invest in the people more, that he would go out and do his best. And so his call to action for everybody around him in those churches was to say, join me. There is persecution happening. There are people dying. There's people being hurt. So join me as I spread the gospel and as I care for the people around us, as I care for this church. And yet, he also realizes the difficulty for those who were married. He looks at the Christians who are single, and he tells them that if they marry, that's fine but there will be difficulty in their marriage that will make, them, will make it hard for them to concentrate on the church. He says, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Paul was never against marriage. Paul understood that it was an institution created by God. He knows that it is a good thing. But he says that those who are married will have trouble within their marriage that makes it difficult for them to do their ministry. Now, what type of trouble is he talking about? Well, marriage, what we know is always going to be difficult because what you're doing is you're pressing together two sinners and you're telling them to write a contract where they can't really separate from each other, right? Marriage is the most intimate of all relationships. And yes, it can be the most fulfilling, but it can also be the hardest and most difficult relationship of your life. The word for trouble that Paul uses here when he says, those who marry will have worldly troubles, it literally means to be pressured or squeezed. It comes from the Greek word that was used to crush grapes. And it was used to crush grapes underfoot in order to produce juice. And what we know about marriage is that for your spouse, man, you have one big grape that you're constantly stomping on in order to produce juice, right? And as difficult, look, as difficult as it may be when it comes to 
living with a roommate or with a brother or sister or even with your parents, nothing will compare to living with your spouse because they are the most intimate relationship you will ever have. And the point of a spouse, one of the reasons why God has ordained marriage is to, is to expose your flaws, is to expose your sins, and to make sure that you are confronting those things as you look at your spouse, as you care for your spouse, as you love your spouse. Author Gary Thomas writes, one of the best wedding gifts God gave us was a full-length mirror called our spouse. When you get married, your sins aren't covered. They're exposed. When you're married, your sins don't get minimized. They get magnified. And Paul is saying that marriage is so difficult at times. You see, we have to understand that society really doesn't want to tell us that. They want to talk about romantic love, about true love, about marriage is the, is the sum of everything, right? And so what society will tell us is instead, look, because marriage is so great, that must mean that being single is so miserable. And that's why when you're a Christian and you're single, and when you hit 25 and you hit 26 and you hit 27, all the way up to 32, I'm not talking about myself, it seems like everyone is pushing you towards marriage. But I would argue, without fear of contradiction, that even marriage can be quite miserable. Not that all people who are married are miserable, but that the potential for misery in marriage is, can be so much greater because you, not, you have not only yourself, but you have someone else who can either encourage you and push you, or they can completely and absolutely tear you down. You know, Pastor John MacArthur said this, as well as many other pastors, the only thing worse than wishing you were married is wishing you weren't. But, church, that's not where all the hardship ends. Because when the fruits of marriage come, one of the fruits, one of the beautiful fruits, are children. And when you add in kids, man, it becomes a whole different ball game. Psalms 127 says that children are a gift from the Lord. But guess what? They're still little sinners, right? We know that. And it's your priority and it is your duty as parents to guide them closer to the Lord. It is your priority, not the churches, to teach them about God and to lead them in the ways of righteousness. It is your duty to pray over them. It is your duty to guide them. It is your duty to read the Bible with them. It is your duty to exemplify your life before them. No wonder it is so hard to not only be a husband or a wife, but to also be a parent. You are called to sacrificially give and to love to your spouse, but not only that, to exemplify your life in marriage. This is where the worldly trouble comes from. You, have, you are meant to squeeze and to press not only that big old grape behind, below you, but also these little grapes that you are meant to stomp again and again. I'm going to stop with that analogy, okay? Don't worry. But that's what you're called to do, and this is where the worldly trouble comes in. This is why it's so hard for someone who is married, for someone who has children, to have single-minded devotion in ministry and in caring for the church. 
I would say it's impossible to do so. And the commands that God has given us in our roles as husbands and wives and parents to also put that type of single-minded devotion to the church and to others. And so Paul is saying, in order for us to care for the church and to continue spreading the gospel, it is better for you to be single so that you can put all of your attention to God. There are problems and there are troubles that married people have that you do not have as a single man and as a single woman. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of a church and pour out your life for as long as God allows you to be in this stage. And that goes into Paul's other reason for being single. And it's a connected part. It is is an undivided attention. Let me read to you verses 32 and 34. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. That's where we're going to stop. One of the greatest gifts of singleness is that you have an undivided attention towards God. When Paul says that he wants us to be freed from anxiety, it literally means that he wants us to be free from all care. He wants to be without any type of baggage or any type of thought behind us or any type of distraction or any type of thing that may be on our minds. We can fully focus on the ministry that God has given us. It literally means that he is allowing us to step forward with complete courage. Theologian John Lightfoot said, a man who is a hero by himself becomes a coward when he thinks of his widowed wife and his orphaned children. When you're married, you have to think of your family. You have to think of your wife, of your husband, of your children. But when you are single, you can completely concentrate on the things that belong to the Lord. You know, there's a parable in Luke 14 where Jesus, he's seeking out those who would come to him to eat a feast. And he's talking to all these different people, and he asks this one man, and in verse 20, this man says, I would go with you, but I can't because I just got married. Look, Jesus is not saying that married people are not Christians. He's not saying anything like that. He's saying that when you're single, there is a single-minded type of devotion that you can give that married people are just simply not able to. Okay? Now, I want to give you just a couple applications and a final word, and then we're going to close. The first thing is that if you're single, whether that is by choice or not, it is a gift from God. I'm talking to those who have never been married. I'm talking to those who have been divorced. And I'm talking to those who are widowed. Don't waste your singleness by pining over marriage or what could have been. Use your singleness for the glory of God. Look, I don't know when I'm going to get married, whether that's next year or in 10 years or maybe never. But it doesn't matter when I get married. What matters is what I'm doing today. What matters is what God has called me in right now. There's no use and there's no fruit There's no benefit in me thinking about what could happen or what couldn't happen 
What is beneficial for me is whatever God has placed me in today. Church, what has God placed you in today? Where is God telling you to invest in right now? If you are single, whether that is temporary or whether that is permanent, pour everything out for the kingdom of God. You are useful. You can be used as a tool for the Lord. And so don't waste that time. Don't look back on this with regret, but pour out everything and know that this is a time for your single-minded devotion to the Lord. Look, we are going to call out for volunteers. We have already called out for children volunteers. We're going to continue to call out for volunteers and for help for people who are in high school, middle school, elementary school, college, and whatever age. Know that, man. Do you know who middle school students think are so cool? It's not their parents. It's not their grandparents. It's not those older people. It's you guys. It's you who are young. It's you who are a young professional working, living on your own, or, or making money, or, or doing that. They think you are so cool. Leverage that. Use that. Use it for the glory of God. Get in the fight. There are so many kids, there are so many students who are running away from the Lord, who are running away from church, who have no one to pour into them. And yet there are so many singles here who are able to work hard, who are able to pour out. Use it. Don't waste your singleness, but use it for the glory of God. There's a reason why you're single. It is not so you can pine over your future marriage. It's so that you can use it for the glory of God today. There are so many people in our ministry that need your help. So use it. When was the last time you took a younger brother or sister out for food? When was the last time you, you brought people into your home or your apartment or brought them in just to hang out with them? Now is the time to do that. Now is the time to build those relationships. When you're married, you're not going to be able to have the time. I'm not, I'm not saying this from a societal perspective. It's biblical here. You have a single-minded devotion. Use it. Use it for the glory of God. Secondly, if you are single and you desire to get married, know that there is a time to date, but know that it is also a biblical and good thing for you to just stay and just be single for a season of your life. In this passage, Paul tells the people that in light of the present circumstances, it is good for you to remain single. There are seasons in your life when it is going to be good for you to be single. And I'm telling you this, that even as you get older, that even as society continues to pressure you, that even as people continue to push you, that there are seasons in your life, whether that is an emotional period, whether that is a transitional period, or whether that's something within your life, that it is good for you to recalibrate and stay single and just focus your attention and your love toward the Lord first above everything else. Don't worry. Don't rush. Why are you worried when God is the author of time? There are seasons in your life that even if you could date, you are purposely holding off because it is better not to. Okay? 
Marriage is a good thing, but it is not ultimate. Singleness is good, but it is not ultimate. They are simply paths that help God refine and shape you into his image. In verse 29, Paul says, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And that sounds really strange, but he explains that in the next verse, where he says, look, if you're mourning, don't mourn too much. When you're rejoicing, don't rejoice too much, because as Christians, your hope is not in this world, your hope is in the future. You see, if this world was all that there was, then you should put everything into your career. You should put everything into your family. And when your family succeeds, and of course, you should be overly happy. And yet when your family disappoints or when it doesn't lead to your expectations, then you should be absolutely torn down. And yet what Paul is saying is that as Christians, we believe that this time on earth is only a breath. This time on earth is only temporary. It's only a It's only wind in light of eternity. Whether or not you are married, you are in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is your fulfillment. Whether or not you have children, you have hope in God's ultimate family, and you have brothers and sisters around you. And church, if you are single, praise God for this time, for this gift that God has given you. Live in light of eternity and know that you are called to pour out and live in faith with a single-minded devotion. Amen? Let's pray.